I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that. Um, before we dismiss our kids, I do want to, someone just uh, reminded me of a testimony that I wanted to share um, this morning. We were here on Tuesday night for House of Prayer, and um, at the end of House of Prayer, we always take about 15 minutes to pray for whatever needs that maybe those, the people that are there have. And uh, I didn't voice a prayer request that night, but I wrote it down on my sheet. I always write down what everyone says. And who, the, the Williams family was actually on my heart. So I prayed for, I prayed for them, and I prayed um, uh, for just the stuff in their lives and their family situations and a lot of different stuff. And, um, and then afterwards, Christina came to me and said, hey, you know, I was praying over here in the corner earlier on during the, day, the, the night, and man, God just put it on my heart to pray for them, and I was praying for them. And so I was, it was just cool that you prayed for them. Well, the next day, uh, if you got the text messages uh, for the prayer request, they were involved in an accident where they were rear-ended as sitting behind a school bus uh, by a car going 70 miles per hour. And so thank God for his protection over our lives and just the way that he operates and brings things together. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're grateful for that. I know that you guys are grateful for that, and we're glad that you guys are back with us. And uh, so we're going to send our kids now out into the lobby. So parents, if you haven't checked them in yet, please make sure that you check them in. Get your sticker so that you can remember to pick them up after service. I'm going to put that right there because I always seem to lose mine. Does anyone else ever have that problem where you lose the sticker? Yeah, I lose that sticker too. By the way, whenever you pick up your kids and uh, you lose your sticker, we do make you show photo ID. And uh, I know you think, why do we have to show photo ID? We're just a small church and we know everybody. Uh, We would rather be safe than sorry. And so there are a lot of people in our world today that like to do things to children. And so uh, we've developed a system to try to keep your kids safe when they're in our care. Uh, If you are a little more loose in your parenting when they're in your care, that's up to you because they're yours. Uh, But when they're in our care, we want to do our best. And so please uh, don't get frustrated or upset with our workers if they ask you to show photo ID. It's not that they don't know you. It's just the system that we have in place. So thank you for that. All right. Um, we're in our series called Killing Kryptonite, and thank you, Sharon, Karen, for sharing that word today. Um, I believe it, it actually fits again with what God was, uh, wants us to look at as we talk about today's sermon and uh, the Killing Kryptonite series. And it, it's based on the book that we've been reading in our small groups called Killing Kryptonite by John Bevere. And uh, the book, as just a, a recap, if you haven't been with us, compares uh, kryptonite spiritually in the way that, it, that kryptonite neutralizes Superman's powder, power. There is a spiritual kryptonite that neutralizes the power of the believer. I believe it's a real thing. It's a deceptive thing. It's a contagious thing. Um, and the thing is, is, it's deceiving. And I know that all of us in this room think we're beyond deception. Well, at least maybe some of us. Uh, but there's not one of us in this room beyond deception. The whole point, the dangerous thing about deception is that it's deceiving. When the scripture says our hearts deceive us, that doesn't mean our hearts deceive other people. Our hearts deceive us. And you know why the Bible says we need other people in our lives who are believers? To help us when our hearts deceive us. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't get a heart that's beyond deception. When you serve God for 40 years, you don't get a heart that's beyond deception. We never get to the place. The Apostle Paul, even in his life, said, you know what, I I beat my body. I make it a slave because I don't want to preach to others and then myself be disqualified because I was deceived. This danger of deception is always there. Now, we don't have to live paralyzed in fear, but we do need to live in relationship in the body of Christ so that we are sure that we're not being deceived. And the the effects of this spiritual kryptonite that we looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 are that many in the church were weak, they were sick, and they were even dying prematurely. And this spiritual weakness, um, as we've talked about and defined it, is idolatry. It's to to disregard the commands of God. In other words, when God says, do this or don't do this, and we as his followers say, well, I'm going to do it anyway, or "Eh, I don't feel like doing it. That's idolatry. 
That's where we're saying, you know what, I'm going to exalt my reason, my decisions, my choices, my life above what God has said. That's an idol. It's not a little statue that we bow down to. It's not a temple that we burn candles at. It's when we exalt our reason, our living, our thinking above what God has told us. And so last week, we dove into the starting place. We talked about repentance. And this was the definition of repentance that we got from the book that really describes what repentance is all about. I've lived as the one who judges what is best for me, but now I know I'm completely wrong. From this moment forward, no matter what God says is best, I will believe and embrace it with all my heart, mind, and behavior. That is repentance. Repentance is not a prayer. It's not even just a decision. It's, it is in a moment where we turn, but for the rest of our lives, we continue to walk in this direction. That's what repentance is. And we in the, the church world, the church culture in America have made repentance or salvation. If you just pray this prayer, Jesus will come and live in your heart and he'll help you and he'll make your life better. Well, that's not repentance. Repentance is everything you were doing before, apart from God, was completely wrong. Well, but I was a nice person. I was nice to be. No, everything you were doing before was completely wrong. And now you're turning and you're doing it his way and you're walking in that direction. Okay, going to church is not repentance. Reading the Bible is not repentance. Changing our behavior is repentance. Jesus taught it, John the Baptist taught it, the apostles taught it. It's the New Testament. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance is the message of the gospel. And so we talked about that last week, the starting place. We looked at the church in Revelation chapter 3 in Laodicea and the words of Jesus to that church. Well, today we're going to look at another church in the book of Revelation. And so if you've got your Bible, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to talk about another church. Last week, we talked about the church in Laodicea. It was an actual church. Jesus told John what to write. He wrote it to the church. They weren't very good, positive words. Uh, today's a little bit better to the church in Thyatira is who we're going to talk to today. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. It says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. Okay, so again, John's getting this message from Jesus. Jesus is telling John what to write, and he's writing it to an actual church, a body of believers. So just like our church, if we were getting a letter from Jesus, he would say to the pastor, the leader of the church of Huron first, write these words, okay? That's what's happening there. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds. Okay, most of his letters start with that. I know your deeds. Okay, so I know that we oftentimes think, well, you know, God knows my heart. He does know our hearts, and our deeds actually come out of our hearts. Remember, we've talked about that. So I know that like, we like to excuse our behavior and think, well, that's not really what's in my heart. It is what's in our heart. That's the point. Okay, so Jesus says, I know your deeds. Your love, that's good. Good to have love. Your faith, good so far. Your service, yes, way better than the Laodicean church, right? Your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I mean, this is a good church. They are serving, they have love, they have faith, they have perseverance. Events, evidently, they've been through some difficulties. But then in verse 20, nevertheless. It's almost like I wish, it's like we're crossing our fingers when we're reading this. Don't say anything bad. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, 
then all the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, we're not going to take time to dive into this passage in all of its detail. He goes into it in greater detail in the book than I am today. Uh, but the church in Thyatira, there's a lot of disagreement as to, uh, amongst biblical scholars as to what's actually going on here. Um, whether this Jezebel is actually a person or just a teaching, whether it's just a figure of speech or whether it's an actual person who's doing this or just a group of people or whether it's actually food sacrifice to idols because we know that Paul in Corinthians tells us that food sacrifice to idols, if you pray over it and receive it with thanksgiving, it can be eaten. So, it, you know, there's some contradiction, it seems like, and so there's a lot of confusing things, but here's what all scholars agree on. There was some level of idolatry taking place, meaning they were disregarding the commands of God. And so whether it was just one person who was the ringleader or a group of people that were doing it, there's at least a group of people that are following a teaching that's contradicting what God has revealed in his word. It's some level of idolatry, and it's being tolerated by the church as a whole. And so that's the whole point. And it's serious enough that Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove them. Because again, the, the contagious nature of idolatry in the body of Christ, if we don't deal with it, it will affect others. It will affect innocent people if we don't make sure that we deal with it. And so that word tolerate that word tolerance is to allow the existence, the occurrence, or the practice of something that one does not necessarily like or agree with without interference. In other words, they don't like or agree with what's happening in this church, but they're hands off. I don't really want to confront it. I don't really want to deal with it. I don't want to, you know, get my, my hands dirty. I, I mean, who am I to judge? I mean, I, I will just... And apparently, that's not okay. Because Jesus himself, if you have a red-letter edition, I don't, I got all black, but if you got a red-letter edition where the words of Jesus are in red, it's in red. It's in red. We need to pay attention to this. This idea that, you know, I'm a part of a body of Christ, and all I do is show up on Sunday morning, uh, sing a few songs, hear a sermon, and go about my way is not the church. It calls for an engagement in one another's lives, a connection in one another's lives because I need it and because you need it in the body of Christ. We need to be one another, with one another. I know that the American mindset of I'm a self-made man, I don't need anybody but me or I don't need anybody but me and Jesus, you will not find that in this book. That was a great place to say amen. But I know some of you are sitting there thinking, but wait a minute, doesn't the Bible tell us to, to tolerate each other? And you would be correct. It, it says to bear with one another. In fact, it says forgive one another whatever grievances that you have. In fact, the word here, tolerate, in, it's the exact same Greek word in some, in some other passages. It's actually translated to forgive. So, what gives? Like, how do we, if I'm supposed to not tolerate and tolerate, how do I know the difference? And, and I'm glad you asked, because we're going to address all of that. But here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 clearly tells us that sin has no place in our lives as followers of Christ. No place. So you also should consider yourselves 
to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Your mouth, your hand, your foot, your heart, your mind. This is not Leviticus. Okay? This is Romans. Do not let this happen. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. See, here's the dilemma. I don't really want to give myself completely to God, but I don't want to sin either. Well, you're in trouble. Because the only chance you have to, to overcome sin is through the power of God. And the more you yield yourself to him, the less you'll give in to him. And we in the church world, we want to be lukewarm. We want to obey God on Sunday, but I want to do what I want to do the rest of the time. I want to obey God by reading my devotions, and, but I don't want to conform my whole life to him. I mean, I don't want to forgive people that have wronged me, especially the really bad wrongs or the ones that have done it on purpose. Give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You live under the freedom of God's grace. And we have changed that into meaning it doesn't really matter how I live because God's grace covers me. But yet, that's obviously not the definition of grace if it's in the same passage with do not do this. Now, here's the thing. I know that I just hit on it briefly last week when we started talking about sin. We're not talking about, you know, you're, you're dealing with the sin in your life. You are fully aware that you struggle with slander. You struggle with gossip. You struggle with pornography. You struggle with sexual immorality. You struggle with your thoughts. You struggle with bitterness. I mean, you, you're fully aware of it. But you're not excusing it. You have someone that's holding you accountable. You have someone that's helping you get victory over it. You're pressing in. You're, you're avoiding situa tempting situations. You're taking thoughts captive. You're not saying, well, the only reason I'm angry today is because of so-and-so. No, the only reason you're angry today is because there are selfish desires within you that you haven't got control of yet. Yet. Amen, preach it, that's good. Okay? My anger, my outburst of anger is never anyone else's fault. It's not my kids' fault, it's not my dog's fault, it's not my wife's fault, it's not my church people's fault, it's no one's fault. It's because there are selfish desires within me that have yet to be contained and controlled through the power of God. Now, if I am a believer and I have repented and I recognize that I was going the wrong way and I'm going this way, I am no longer defined by my behavior. I am no longer defined by my behavior. So when I have an outburst of anger, I'm not a sinner. I'm still a child of God. I'm not going to rationalize my outburst of anger. I'm not going to excuse it. I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to go toward the cross. And the whole time, I'm still a child of God. We have got to stop defining ourselves and other people by their behavior. And we define them by what Christ did for us. That doesn't excuse my behavior. It explains my behavior it doesn't excuse it. And I continue toward the cross. In Matthew chapter 7, one of the most misunderstood passages in all of the Bible, because anytime you go to someone and you tell them that something they're doing is sin, they say this, don't judge. The Bible says don't judge. Well, that's not what the Bible says, okay? What, what the Bible says here, it, where it says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging others is the standard by which you will be judged. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First, get rid of the log in your own eye and you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, here's what we do. We, we see someone who is in willful, clear sin 
And we tolerate it, meaning we don't deal with it, because who am I? I mean, I have this log in my eye that I can't deal with. Okay, that log is not your behavior. Do you understand me? The log is not your behavior. The log is your identity. The log is your motivation. This passage of Scripture is not saying, if you see your brother and he's in sin, it's not telling you, hey, don't say anything to him because, you know, you're... You'd be foolish to say something to him. Just, you just ignore it. Just ignore it because you got your own flaws and your own faults. It's not talking about that. Because if it was saying that we had to be faultless before we corrected anyone else, there would never be any correction. But what it's saying is don't get your identity in your works. Meaning don't start thinking that you're better than, than them because you don't have that same flaw. Don't let your motivation for going to them to, be, to make them suffer or to get even with them or to put them down. That's the motivation. That's the identity. That's the log that we're supposed to deal with because when we deal with that, we're going to be able to see clearly to remove the speck from their eye. That's not an excuse to tolerate sin. I want to show you a short video clip. And then uh, we're going to dive back in. But this was put together, uh, if you were here for the Justin and Angela video, this is uh, the same group that put that together. Hey, bro, look, check it out. Labradoodle. What? Yeah, right down there. Oh. <laughs> Love good breed. It's so good. Yes, half lab, half moodle. Wait, what? Incredible. Moodle? Yeah. No, that's a not a thing ever. No, no, it totally is. Uh, a moodle. Isn't that, isn't that Dave from Econ? Oh, yeah. What is he doing up here? He's, he's probably just enjoying the view, man. Wait, isn't, isn't Dave blind? Hey, hey, Dave. Whoa, 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 bro. What are you doing? You can't just tell Dave what to do. Wait, why? Are you blind? Uh, no. Okay, so then you don't know what Dave's gone through. You can't really relate to him, man. Just, just, just let him be. He's totally fine. He's literally slipping right now. Okay, you're gonna, you're gonna get all up on him for, for slipping. Like everyone slips from here and there. I don't it's care no if he slips. I'm just trying to keep it. a guy from falling off a cliff. No, no. Okay, listen. What, what I think you need to do right now is you just need to love him. You need to not point out. What does his that have weaknesses. to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything. Okay, like if you, if you point out his weaknesses, he won't feel loved. He won't feel accepted. I'm just, feel I'm accepted. just trying to keep a guy from going off the cliff. No, he's not even stopping. Hey, Dave! No, 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 no! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! If you speak out against blind people, so what many people will be upset with you? with you. No, so many people won't like you. But also, what if, what if he doesn't like us anymore? You've ever thought about that? Dave will be dead. I need to say, hey, no, no, Dave, no, 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 Dave. Someone, is someone there? Uh, yeah. Hey, Dave, how's it going? It's uh, it's Charlie from school. Oh, hey, man. Doing this for days. Maybe you can help me out. I seem to have lost a trail somewhere. You, you want to tell me if I'm going the right way? Maybe he is lost. You're right. We, we should still just encourage him. Yeah, yeah, hey, no, Dave, you know, you're doing great, man. Uh, uh, you know, I love that you're out here, man, too. I I'm proud of you, being out on this trail. You you're doing great, man, you you're doing great. Oh, okay, thanks, man. Cause I am going the right way. Watch, he'll figure it out. You just gotta love him through his problems. Yeah, you got it, man. Okay, so that's a little bit uh, ridiculous, but you get the point. I mean, I, I've grown up in church. I've been in it for 42 years, and we all have those people in church. Well, that's just how they are. You know, that, they're just in a rough spot right now. As if, you know, the gospel, when we're in a rough spot, we're allowed to set it aside and let our flesh act out. 
Okay, remember, we're dealing with our behavior, okay? not our personality, not who we are, not our identity. So if I act in a way that needs to be confronted and someone points it out to me, they're not saying, you're, you're a sinner, you're a bad person, you're evil, you're this. I mean, some people do. I've been around long enough. That, that's, some, that's how we confront people. That's not okay. That's not how we're supposed to confront people. We're supposed to confront the behavior. And I love how Karen talked about unconditional love today because what we do is we, we make judgments of people based on their behavior. And then we label them, and we start expecting them to act a certain way. We start believing they're going to act a certain way. We start defining them a certain way, and then we start treating them a certain way. And most of the time, we just ignore their behavior. Oh, yeah, we just pretend to like each other. We pretend that everything's okay. We pretend that it's all good. And we think that greed and slander and gossip and, you know, just a little bitterness is, oh, it's okay. It's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. And yet the scripture warns over and over about the deceptive nature of sin, that sin wants to destroy you, wants to kill you. It's at the door. And we act like it's okay because we're afraid that we'll define someone by it. Or I don't know what they've been through. Again, my circumstances may explain my behavior, but it does not excuse my behavior. Does that make sense? And we have to make sure that we're dealing with these areas in our lives. We have a responsibility to one another to deal with them. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Not Even sinners in the world don't do what you guys are doing. And look at what he says to them in this passage. Throw this man out. You would throw someone out of the church. You don't love them. Listen, throw them out and hand him over to Satan so his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. It does not say tolerate it. Pretend it's not there. Just keep patting them on the back and saying, hey, you're doing great. That's not the way to salvation. Now don't panic. I don't want to create a culture here where we're looking for people to do things wrong, where we're trying to be nitpicky and find stuff. But we, we kind of do that well on our own anyway. As human beings, we're selfish and we're judgmental and we're nitpicky by nature. But thank God he's given us a new nature and we're walking in a new direction. But when sin is obvious and apparent, instead of just talking to someone else and saying, yeah, that's just how that person is. Why won't someone love them and actually sit down and say, hey, you're going to walk off a cliff. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person, and you will be like a fresh batch of dough. In the next chapter, he says to them, you have a dispute with another believer. How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday you're going to judge the world? And if you can judge the world, can't you even decide these little things among yourselves? And look, look at this. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? You understand what Paul's saying to them? Someone has treated you unfairly, let them. Well, that flies in the face of the American world today, doesn't it? But yet, we think as long as I go to church and dress up and look good, then I don't have to deal with all of this stuff that's going on. And we wonder why the, the, our spiritual lives are weak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the passage that we've dealt with, was dealt with the, the partiality that they were showing to each other. And so clearly the scripture teaches us, do not avoid, do not tolerate blatant, clear sin in the body of Christ. Speak to it. You speak the truth. In the book of Jude, Jude is writing to the church and he says, look at this. I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. I want to write to you. I want to encourage you. I want to talk about the salvation we all share. But I find I must write to you about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. In other words, it allows us to say, well, you know what? I know I did that wrong, but it's okay. Thank, you. Thank Jesus for his grace. 
And that has crept its way into the church and Jude confronts it. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. In the book of Hebrews, it says, be careful, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Warn each other every day while it is still today. Today. Warn each other. Don't let sin reign in your body. Don't give yourself to those desires. But I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that tells somebody, you know, hey, I feel like you're going to fall off a cliff. I mean, I have no problem telling this guy about that guy. But I don't want to go to that guy. It's a deception. It's a deception from the enemy that's wormed its way into the body of Christ even back in Paul's day. The danger is, the danger is what I like to call the prophet syndrome. You can write that in your notes, the prophet syndrome. Here's what the prophet syndrome is. I've, I've actually worked with a pastor, not in our church, I've worked with a pastor who felt he was a prophet. And so his job as a prophet was to tell everybody what they were doing wrong. That's, I don't think that's a prophet. I think that's critical. Um, and I don't think there's a gift of the Spirit called criticalness. And so it's not there. Um, but he didn't worry about offending people. He just said, I had to tell them like it is. I had to tell them like it is. It was the only way they were going to hear it. And by Jesus offended people, and I'm going to offend people. Well, guys, that is not the, the heart of what. That's the log in your eye. That's the motivation. If your motivation is anything other than keep that person from falling off a cliff, then yeah, you need to check that at the door. And if someone has wronged you, remember when Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5, if you're at the altar and you remember someone has something against you, I mean, you're innocent. They have it against you. Leave your gift, go and be reconciled, and then come and offer the gift. Well, what if to be reconciled, you actually have to admit to a wrong that you didn't do or you have to like take responsibility? What? In Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus says, if someone sins against you, go to them and deal with it. It doesn't say ask six other people and then deal with it. It says go to them. And if it doesn't work, then bring two other people for the sake of reconciliation. For the sake of coming back together in the body of Christ. Here's the thing, I've been a pastor for 20 years and I, I watch fight after fight after fight after fight in the church and you, on some days, I promise you, on some days I get cynical and I'm like, what's the use? But then, luckily, I have some people in my life that say, stop it. In fact, one of them, just in the last week, said, uh, help me understand, are you saying it's hopeless? <laughs> and I said, no, that's not what I'm saying, but it really was what I was saying. <laughs> But, and so I realized, no, it's not hopeless. If it was hopeless, I wouldn't even be here right now. It's not hopeless. There's a calling that God wants. But here's, I'm not going to sugarcoat it either. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. The hardest thing you've ever done is to actually look like the body of Christ that's in the Scripture, where we're not afraid to confront one another. In fact, where we welcome confrontation in our lives. We welcome it. Okay, stop believing the lie that you're not a confrontational person and you just don't like confrontation because there's not a human being on the planet that likes it. And people that do it don't enjoy it. They don't get a kick out of it. They don't go home and be like, yeah, I can't wait till I confront someone tomorrow. They don't like it. They do it because it's what love does. We speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth in love. Not just speaking the truth, not just speaking your mind, not just putting it out there, not just, you know, I'm going to tell you like it is. Give you a piece of my mind. Don't give them a piece of your mind. Give them the mind of Christ. Then we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Let me ask you this. If I ignore obvious sinful behavior in your life, am I embracing truth or am I embracing falsehood? If I pretend that everything's okay when there's clearly you're going to walk off a cliff, that's not truth. That's falsehood. 
And I've got, to do, I've got to deal with me so I get the log out of my eye so I can make sure I deal with you correctly. So I make sure when I put that in front of you, I do it with the right motivation. That I do it not trying to label you as something because your identity is in Christ. And I've got to make sure that that's right and I've got to pursue that type of connection with you. We have a responsibility in the body of Christ to one another. I believe it's in the scripture. I believe that you, as a member of the body of Christ, have a responsibility to other members of the body of Christ, and every one of us, when we stand before God on Judgment Day, will be judged for it. How we handled that responsibility. Did we tolerate it? Did we shirk back from the responsibility? Did we do it viciously and meanly? Or did we do it with the grace and love of God? I would rather not preach this message. I would rather preach something fun and exciting and great because this is hard and I know it's hard and I know it's like, I know it's like I've been in church 20 years and this part of my brain over here says, that'll never happen. It's impossible. It's sort of like the apostles when Jesus said, he said to them, how many times should I forgive? And they were like, that's not possible. Or when he talked about the camel going through the eye of the needle, what did they, that's not possible. With God, all things are possible. And I believe if we start seeing that this is a trap from the enemy, we're going to stop making excuses and we're going to deal with the falsehood because the falsehood would not just stay small. It's going to infect other believers in the body of Christ. Like Hebrew says, it's going to be a root of bitterness that springs up to defile many. Like in Thyatira, it's going to affect more than just a few people in the body of Christ and it's going to pervert the gospel that's being preached. The gospel that's being preached right now in America has been perverted by the fact that in the body of Christ, we don't deal with things like this. We need to be healthy and growing and full of love. I want to look at two last passages of Scripture, and then we're going to pray. I want to give you hope. Do you have hope? The first one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Karen already referenced it earlier when she spoke, but the Apostle Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of all the angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, I mean, think about that, you could move a mountain, and I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, if I sacrificed my body, meaning I was martyred, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love doesn't tolerate sin. Love doesn't condemn or judge the person it judges the behavior, the action. And absolutely, we can speak to it. Absolutely, anything this book says is against the character and nature of God, you can call sin. Greed, sin. Sexual immorality, sin. Disobedient, disobedient to parents, sin. Dishonor, slander. Going home and venting at home about your boss, that's sin. It doesn't make me less a child of God. I mean, my boss may have been hard on me that day. It may explain why I'm venting, but it doesn't excuse it. And I refuse to tolerate it in my life, and I hope we as a body refuse to tolerate it in our lives. I don't want to be condemned and defined by it, but I don't want to leave it in my life. In 1 John chapter 4, the second passage, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates, and you take that word hate out because we, we, we don't understand. If I'm indifferent, if I ignore, if I tolerate, if I don't connect with, if I don't you know, pursue, if I don't take my responsibility to other fellow believers, that person is a liar. For if we don't love the people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? He's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Christ demonstrated love for us. What did he demonstrate? What did he demonstrate? He demonstrated involvement. He demonstrated laying his life down. He demonstrated giving up every right and privilege that he had for our sake. And we're upset that someone took our place in line. We're upset that someone's going to take away our rights as Americans. We're so offended at the very world we're trying to reach. It calls for greater grace. How many of you would say amen to that? I know that what I've shared with us today is this high and lofty thing. And here's what I know. Either the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, or it doesn't. Or he doesn't. It's possible. I do not want us to become a culture of nitpicky, always in everybody's business, always trying to find the wrong thing. In fact, I think if we actually start dealing with things, we'll actually catch people doing more things right than we used to. But it calls for a full commitment to Christ. It calls for repentance. It calls for us to turn away from our ways and completely put our trust in him. It calls for a full laying down of all of our rights, all of our privileges. It calls for a full commitment to one another. Whether you're a partner or a member of this body, it calls for a full commitment to one another where we're not going to tolerate sinful behavior in our own lives, we don't want to tolerate it in the lives of other members of this body, where we're going to learn to speak the truth in love, we're going to put in the emotional energy, we're going to pursue the connection that we need to pursue, and beyond that, we're going to have a commitment to go after the one that's out there, even if it means leaving the 99. One of the things that the Lord has just dropped in my heart. It's not this idea of unconditional love, but it's the idea of being unoffendable. I've literally been praying that for myself. I've been praying that for the body over the last several weeks. God, make me unoffendable. Make me unoffendable. You know how irritated I get when people in the world act the way they do? I mean, think about how many times we call people stupid or idiot or why would they do that? I mean, when, show me a place in Scripture where someone's behavior, Jesus' response was, oh, I can't believe that. And Jesus knew the heart of men. He knew what to expect. He knew sinful people did sinful things. He was never shocked or appalled or put out by anyone's behavior. He confronted it. But it didn't change how he treated them. I mean, I know everyone else in the world is an idiot except me especially when they're driving. I mean, here's, here's the, I, in fact, I, I Googled, don't ever Google things unless you really want it. I Googled un, unoffendable because I thought maybe I could write a book and uh, someone already wrote one. It's called Unoffendable. It's a great book. I started reading it. And uh, the first challenge was when I'm driving a car, I noticed that I've never said, I'm such an idiot. I mean, I've said that person was such an idiot. Why didn't they use their turn signal? They're such an idiot. Why are they looking at their phone? They're such an idiot. And I thought, that's hitting a low close to home. 
I mean, I don't always use the term idiot. Don't be offended, but I use the term grandma, grandpa. Come on, grandma. Get in another lane, grandma. Until my five-year-old daughter, Micaiah at the time, was in the back seat saying, grandma's up there? <laughs> and they realized I shouldn't say that. But think about it. We get appalled by other people's behavior. I can't believe that person would act that way. Or someone else tells us the story about how they were mistreated. I can't believe that person would do that to you. Well, here's the thing. I can. I can believe that person did it because I know what's in my heart and I know I'm fully capable of acting that stupid and stupider. And I want grace and so I need to learn to give it way better than I have. Next week, I promise you, we're going to talk about the reason why all this is important. The message I'm going to share with you next week is called Arise and Shine. Because when we start dealing with this, I believe the body of Christ is going to rise and shine, and the glory of the Lord is going to arise on us. And so it's going to be worth the effort. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand. And I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do something that I know some of you are not going to like me for. But I want you, if, if this message, this idea of being, I don't want to tolerate sin. I want to be fully committed to Christ. I want to be fully committed to the body of Christ. I'm not saying you have to become a partner. Or no, I want to be fully committed to the body of Christ that God has put me as a part of. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to make a step of faith and I want you to step out and I want you to come to the front because what we're going to do is we're going to step away from our old life and we're going to come to a new one. It doesn't mean you're guilty of anything. It just says, you know what? I know it. I recognize it and I'm stepping out. Fully committed to Christ, fully committed to the body of Christ. I'm willing to put in the effort that it's going to take to see things like this happen. I'm going to be unoffendable in the body of Christ because I want to pray a blessing over us. I want to pray grace down upon us because I know what, we're, what this looks like is going to be the most challenging thing that any of us have ever done but I know it's worth it. I know it's worth it because I've seen the promises in the scripture of what happens when the body of Christ learns to dwell in unity. I've seen what happens in the body. I've seen the promises of what happens when the glory of the Lord begins to rise on his people because his people don't want to tolerate sin any longer. We don't want to tolerate it. We're not going to excuse it. We're going to not going to make reasons for it. We're not going to define ourselves by it, and we're not going to define anyone else by it, but we are going to deal with it, and we need grace to be able to do that well. We need grace in our marriages was just having a conversation not long ago with my wife. And uh, we were talking, in, in essence, I, I wondered if my wife was doing something that I felt like was she was gonna jump off a cliff or fall off a cliff spiritually. Would I have the guts to confront her? Or would I rather keep the peace in our home. And quite honestly, I'd rather keep the peace. But the Lord confronted me and said, that's not love. That's not love. If you're not willing to be a little uncomfortable, if you're not willing to do something that you don't want to do to confront someone, that's not love. that's what he's calling us to in our marriages as parents of our children maybe even as children older children to the parents being willing to stop tolerating sin and speak the truth in love so father I ask for grace today upon every one of us at this altar God we need greater grace. God, we humble ourselves right now and recognize this is what you've asked. You've called us to this. We recognize this isn't human nature and this isn't what we want, but we recognize it's what's best. 
because you never would ask us to do anything that's not what's best for us. And so we want to fully yield to you right now. And your word says that if we humble ourselves, that you give greater grace. So give us the grace that we need. Give us the courage that we need. God, we want to be able to stop tolerating sin in our lives and in the lives of those around us that we love. We recognize that we need grace to be able to remove the the log from our eye, to stop identifying ourselves and others by behavior and identifying them by the work you've done for them. We recognize that we need to stop using selfish motivation to correct others. We need to correct them from a place of love. We need to learn how to speak the truth in love. Holy Spirit, give us that grace. Unite this body of Christ together like never before. Make us an example in this city and in this world that your glory would be able to rise upon us. Now, God, over this congregation today, I pray your blessing. Lord, would you bless them? Would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them? you give them peace, true peace, lasting peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We do have a prayer team here in the front. If you want specific prayer for something that you haven't had prayer for yet, we want to just let them let you know that they're available for that. Uh, if you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. And let this be a place of prayer in this room uh, for those that still want to have some time of prayer. God bless you as you go today.